Hello and welcome to the Delco Skate Park Coalition podcast. The Delco Skate Park Coalition is a nonprofit organization of skate enthusiasts, parents, and disability rights advocates looking to build adaptive and inclusive skate parks in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Aaron Lopez, and we are the podcast that covers all things about skateboarding, skate parks, and not just skate parks, but ADA, accessible, adaptive all wheels, and inclusive skate parks in Delco and beyond. I'm excited to be here with Brian Herzog. Brian is an OG Delco skateboarder whose history includes skateboarding in places like the Dust Bowl, UPenn, FDR, and Love Park. Brian is also an avid snowboarder who spends most weekends in the winter on the slopes. Brian, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So the question we ask everybody who comes onto this podcast is where are you from and when did you get your first skateboard? So I'm from Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, Delco, uh, and I got my first skateboard when I was seven. It was... So really pretty young. Yeah, and I got to tell you, so right away, I sort of, whenever I saw it, I, I loved it. The first time I saw a board, I loved it, and I wanted one, and I got one, and it was a blue little penny board, I think, like this, you know, that's... So a little blue one with like the... The small wheels. Was it like a plastic board or it was it wood? plastic? Yeah, and it was more or less a toy, I guess. But um, soon after that, when I was nine, you know, within two years, I got a GNS. You know, I think it was a Fiberflex, and man, did I I wanted it and I loved it, <laughs> and I was, I wish I still had it. Yeah. You know. These, these boards are fun. So, yeah, yeah, this started, this love affair with skateboards started at age seven. What was your skate terrain like, you know, when you when you first started getting out there with that GNS board? Were you, like, going out in your own neighborhood? Like, where, where were you using it? Yeah, so the GNS, so, right, we actually moved temporarily to Westchester. So I had a five, so I had a five-year, first grade through fifth grade, we were in Westchester, and that's when I, I got this board. And they, I lived in a condominium, and it was uh, parking lots all out front. So I just had these open parking lots to skateboard all around, up and down hills. There were so many, you know, just inside now the courtyards, uh, all over the place. And when we then moved to back to Upper Darby, uh, in summer going into sixth sixth grade, there was a skate shop right around the corner from me called J&D Skate Shop on State Road. And man, you went in there and you could, they had all the boards, right? You know, Psycho Stick, you know, Vision, Gator, everything. Uh, And I got a Danny Webster GNS because of the GNS fiberglass, Fiberflex. So I got that board and, you know, we had all the colored wheels and the, you know, ugly sticks, right, for grabbing the rails, the copers, the nose guard, the bird, which went up over. Uh, and it was exciting because you know, here I am in this store just looking up at all these parts and I just wanted all of it. Yeah. And 
Yeah. So how old were you when you got that GNS board? You said you were about nine? So that was probably 11. 11. Maybe 12. Yeah, right around there. And did you have other like friends that you were out skateboarding with or were you kind of just doing this on your own or so there was a couple kids in my neighborhood and and at the time you know whatever we were doing we all did it together so um you know, skateboarding became a thing and we all got our boards from the shop around the corner and we were on them as much as we could all the time uh but you know we also did other things you know there was street hockey and eventually hacky sack was a thing right? oh, yeah, remember that? Right. yeah yeah so we were doing all sorts of fun stuff and it, it ebbed and flowed, but you know, we came, we always came back to skateboarding. So in Upper Darby around that time, there wasn't like a whole lot of, you know, skate terrain, like places you could go where it was kind of safe to skate. So where, where were you guys going? Parking lots. Yeah. You know, or the streets in front of our houses. Uh, and, but yeah, right down in, in. Bond Shopping Center, you know, I remember breaking my board on, uh, you know, doing ollies off of this little... Not the GNS. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I broke the tail off of that. <laughs> yeah. That had to hurt. Uh, yeah, I kept yeah. it. And yeah. I, be- I personally believe it's somewhere in my possession. It may even be in my current house. I just don't know where it is right now, but yeah, I've kept it the whole time. Yeah. So you were got- you guys were skateboarding in like the... the- parking lots of the shopping centers in Upper Darby. Were there ever any ramps that came into the picture? Or? So there was uh, a kid in the neighborhood who, you know, built a launch ramp. And, of course, we were there every chance we could be. Uh, but that was it. And to some extent, for me at that age, you know, 12, 13, this was the early years of, you know, pre-real street skating, sort of, or at least... You know, in the on the East Coast, it wasn't. You know, I didn't. We we had the magazines and a couple of the movies, but really didn't have the wherewithal to take it too far and to develop our tricks at that stage. So we just enjoyed the boards for what they were, and and you know, sort of tried to do a few things and ollie and stuff like that. But but at a certain point, um, your skateboarding advances. So this is an interesting part of the story for me. So it's somewhere along the line, eighth grade, we'll say. Um, so I've been in, in Upper Darby. I've been in Westchester. I'm back in Upper Darby. I'm two years in. And uh, my parents think maybe I should attend a private school. I was smart enough to it really, I never had to do any work and my grades were decent. And... Um, you know, that was that was fun for me, right? So I saw the information, I repeated it on tests, and it was real easy. So they looked into, you know, private school, and I, I got to go to Devon Prep. And <clears throat> so I moved along from school to school to school, and now I'm starting with this new school, and skateboarding sort of dropped off. Track is a big part of my life, actually. I ran, you know, at one point I was running three seasons for multiple years, just running all the time. Um, And this is where the skateboarding dropped off. And it's not related, but I started having some depression issues. And it was mild at first. Um, But it was strange because my nickname starting around age six was Smiley. 
And, you know, whenever, I mean, random strangers would just, you know, catch me smiling. And somehow I got that nickname. And going in, you know, eighth grade or whatever around then, I just started losing my lust for life. And it was strange because I loved everything, you know. So this is where the beginnings of depression and, and mental health issues started really taking control for me. So I bounced from there and I'm, I'm just making my way. I'm doing school, I'm doing, you know, running, you know, and then regular life coming and going. And there were definitely some bouts of skateboarding in there, but somewhere around 14 or 15, skateboarding ended. It was just school, running, girls, driving, and all those things. Did you have that same, you know, passion for running or did you love it the way that you loved skateboarding? So interesting about thing about interesting thing about running is that yes, I loved it, but uh, you know, and I was decent at it. Um, and it was what I did and you know, part of my identity was ingrained in it. You know, we it's like being a baseball player. You're with other baseball players all the time. And that's what you do. And so I was a runner and we ran. And I went to a school where other runners showed up that were good from other areas. And we all ended up at the same school. And we all ended up, I think our ninth grade year, we won like the districts or the, the central league, whatever it was. We were, and we did that as freshmen. So, you know, that was like you know, kind of a big deal. And I, believe me, I wasn't the best guy on the team, so... I'm not going to say it was me, but... But the team had success. We had success at an early age, yeah, because it was as if all these guys just showed up and we were all decent. And that was... So my identity sort of became that. Gotcha. But there was this part of you that um, was going through the motions, it sounds like. Yeah. And like I said, around 13, maybe 14... I started to have just this, it was a strange thing to just become aware that you don't have a real lust for life or passion that you've had for anything. And uh, again, a kid whose nickname is Smiley, you know, there's no, and now there's no smiles. It's like, what, what happened? You know, did anybody notice you were going through that or were you kind of going through it silently? Uh, I do remember reaching out to one of the priests, um, and, you know, just having a conversation about it. It wasn't running the show at that point in my life. It was just this odd place to be. But it, it wasn't all the time and everywhere because, again, I would, I would find ways to, you know, make myself happy or whatever it was. But then, you know, if there was downtime or alone time or whatever, I would just, again, be blah. And so this is the beginnings of that. And then at the age of 15, uh, my uncle committed suicide. Oh. And that, you know, sort of set the stage for everything else. It was devastating um, for, for everyone around me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I can't blame my depression on that particular incident um, or anything going forward, but it's... It was heavy then, it's heavy now. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly that shaped things for me. So going forward, 
you know, I had, uh, there was a lot of therapy sessions and medic medications to help with depression. So at that point, it sounds like it, you're, you're still an adolescent, but your family realized, you know, we, they needed to get you some help. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just me. Everybody needed help. Right. So, uh, I'm only aware of, of my own situation, mm -hmm. but it was very important. It was, we were devastated. Um, you know, obviously my cousin and aunts, my aunt and my cousins were way more devastated, but it was devastating for all yeah. of us. We were all so hurt. Um, and so, yeah, that was the beginning of like, all right, this, let's, let's work on getting this stuff sort of straightened out. And so, you know, the benefit of having family that can do things for you, you know, because it's not available for everybody as easily. And my family was able to, to get me to different doctors and try different meds and all those things. A lot of what took place was it didn't get me where I needed to be. It was a long process. The medication was a long process. The wrong meds, different meds. Try this, try that. Um, and I was put on, at one point, lithium, which is a pretty heavy-duty drug for bipolar. And I bring that up because of the mental health aspect of here I was, should be happy, have no reason not to be happy. When I'm happy, I'm really happy. And when I'm sad, I'm really, you know, or, or depressed or whatever. Um, and eventually it was just so bad. They were like, you must have bipolar disorder, right? Which is strange to me because really, like, again, it's just the highs and the lows of this. And so here I am and I'm, I'm put on, on lithium. Um, their doctors, you know, they didn't really have any answers for me. One of my psychiatrists says, is there anything that, you've, that you enjoy or ever enjoy? And I said, skateboarding. <laughs> and that's the answer that... And then it was like, why am I not skateboarding? So, and, and I'm not going to pretend right now that skateboarding fixed me. Mm -hmm. Certainly did not. Um, but I suddenly found that here was this thing that I really did have a passion for that, you know, I could look to, to find enjoyment. And that's when that, that road back to skateboarding started for me. Tell me about that road, um, coming back to skateboarding. Cause you'd, you'd been through a lot at that point. You'd had loss and we're, you know, we're getting treatment for, you know, for your mental health. And, and you identify that skateboarding is something that means a lot to you, that, you know, you're asked that question, you know, what do you enjoy? What's important to you? And your answer is skateboarding. What did that road, getting back to your skateboard, getting back to that kind of, that what you had as a kid, you know, um, what did that look like? Right. So I managed to miss this section of time in skateboarding that was actually part of the down years of skateboarding. Um, so like the early 90s? Yeah, yeah, so late 80s, early 90s, I wasn't skateboarding, right? 89, 90 wasn't. But maybe 93, so 92, 93, 
I'm 18, 19 years old. Might be a freshman in college. And the scene happens to have these gigantic pants. <laughs> yeah, and small wheels. Tiny wheels. <laughs> and I just think to myself, well, I want to get back into skateboarding, but I, I can't even fathom this at this point. <laughs> and so I just started skateboarding again. And uh, I went to a local uh, Coles and skated a curb. Um, and different places around the neighborhood. But eventually I went down to Love Park because that was the place to be at that time for skateboarding. So I wanted to be around, you know, where it's at. Where's the scene? And so I made my way to, to Love Park. Fortunately for me, at that same time, the pants phase was reverting back to a more normal <laughs> situation. So I didn't stick out too long. <laughs> What but, was the scene at Love Park like back then? What was it like for you when So here I am. I'm and I'm I'm just starting to skateboard again and I am not very good. I wasn't very good as a fourteen year old, like I loved it, but it didn't make me good. But I can ride and I can do a few things and you get to Love Park and it is sort of pro level park and you really could just go there and watch skaters all day. That's how awesome this place was. And there were pros in the park. Ricky Oyola, Serge, Matt Reason, Stevie Williams. You know, a lot of these guys who were just amazing and tearing up this place. But I would go there and I would skate. And in, and over time I got better and I could skate the ledges there. Um, and, you know, the cops would come. And chase you out and you would run out of Love Park. Uh, I never had my board taken, thankfully. But that was part of the deal. It sounds like they came there on you know a pretty routine basis. It was a cat and mouse game, yeah. right? You knew it was illegal. You went there. If you caught a flurry out of the corner of your eye, you grabbed your board and started running. You know, it, all, you, all you needed to see was one kid running and you knew. But they would surround you. You know, they would try to come in from certain, you know different angles. It was comical, really. <laughs> it could also sound if, like... If it wasn't so, you know, ridiculous. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and here's the thing that we, we all love. We own one thing, you know, the skateboard. And they're going to come and take it. Yeah. Every day you just hope you don't break your board because you can't really afford to get a new one, or, you know, whatever. But yeah, they're going to come take your board, give you a citation, all that stuff. So... That was uh, not a fun part. Tell me about how how does your your own skateboarding evolve while you're there? Like, do you start to really push yourself more? And oh yeah, I mean, first first of all, you can see what can be done, right? And of course, and I never got to a pro level, but I was able to improve so much by seeing these guys. And I I remember riding with Ricky. You know, if I if we fast forward here. Uh, I went out with riding, riding with Ricky after work one day, and it was just so fun to be there. And I skated the same thing he did. I was fifty-fifteing this, you know, huge rail, uh, tall. When I say huge, um, I was just stoked that I could get up onto it. You know, he was board sliding it or or nose sliding it, but um, just the fact that I could get a fifty-fifty on this thing, I just it was great. You know, yeah. he, these guys are. Really killing it. 
And I, I wasn't pretending to be good. I just was happy to be there and enjoying myself and able to somewhat hang. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about how your your mental health starts to change as you're at Love Park and, you know, finding a community there. So it was very good for me to find a community, uh, not just with Love Park. I was also at the same time in college, right, up in East Stroudsburg. I uh, went there because it was a state school, but also because you could have you could take a ski class for gym, and I skied at the time. And then, while we were up there, you know, going along the same lines of of, of meeting Ricky and and some of these guys, I met this group of skaters uh, that were locals that didn't go to the college up at East Stroudsburg, and super nice guys really good, welcomed me in. And one of them happens to happened to be a sponsored snowboarder at the time. And I ended up learning about this version of snowboarding where they would just do what we call like an urban assault and they're just in the town putting snow where they need to and then riding these rails and you know, jumping off these stairs and just sort of, you know, a DIY in the neighborhood. So you guys are like taking snow from one area of the city or wherever, bringing it down to like a staircase or something like that. So the snow, the snow would be there. It would snow, but they would then pile it up to the railing. So the sidewalk comes and then there's this stairs down and they would pile it up to jump from the, you know, onto the railing and then. If the snow had been cleared, they would pile it up in the landing area so that you could continue on without coming to an abrupt stop on the concrete. Yeah. If you're not getting boards for free, it gets expensive if you're going to scrape your board on the concrete. <laughs> Was that your first introduction to snowboarding? Was snowboarding in a place, like not on a mountain or anything like that, but snowboarding there? Essentially, yes. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't snowboarding. I was watching these guys. Gotcha. Um, one of those guys ended up being Keir Dillon, who went on to be a pro snowboarder who's just amazing. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about this whole scenario is when I got connected with these guys skateboarding, they had a friend who had a barn. And in that barn was a five-foot mini ramp. And they sort of had free reign to just show up and skate it whenever they wanted. And so I got to go to this barn and skate it. And so while I'm relearning how to skateboard just in general, I now have access to a five-foot mini. And by the way, Keir Dillon was amazingly smooth on this mini, which is why when he became <laughs> a pro half-pipe rider, you just could see how smooth and, you know, it translates. Here, you know who's good. This kid was good. He was great in the half-pipe skateboarding. He was great in the half-pipe on the snowboard. Fun to watch. So we, we were lucky to have access to this barn. And so, yeah, we skated the college town. Stairs, ledges, and... Uh, Did you ever get, like, uh, any of the same type of police, you know, stopping you from skating or from snowboarding in the town like you that you did at, like, Love Park? No. So East Stroudsburg, at least, was... Not really, they, they weren't bothering you that much, as long as you weren't 
in a in a place that was right in front of something that was going to be a problem. So if they didn't see you, yes, they just leave you alone. So generally speaking, we were left alone. Um, but right, so then, but you go back home, and you want to skate some of these places in my local neighborhood, and the cops become an issue. Has was there ever a time when you know you were skating? Uh, you know, somewhere in your local neighborhood where um, you did get an encounter with police or, you know, that that's memorable or that stands out for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should preface all of this with I am the son of a cop. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that comes with its own issues, I, I presume. You know, the cop's kid, you know, you know where that goes. I get special privileges, right? Uh, not really, but yes, I have been let out of a few things based on, on my dad's situation. One good example is in Penwin. It is a uh, in Lower Marion. It's a wealthy neighborhood in the main line. And there's an elementary school. And we would show up there late at night. And it had lights. And this, there was this embankment. And it was just smooth, roll right into the embankment. And we would just go there and skate. And of course, it's illegal to skate. And You've talked about this on the podcast where you're surprised that it's illegal to skate in places. It's disappointing, you know, because there there. Yeah, there are totally areas, um, you know, that I that I grew up skateboarding and just completely took it for granted, like these asphalt parking lots in these elementary schools where, you know, there's, you know, California was in a in a drought when I was growing up and they they just paved over everything. Like there was no landscaping and there'd be just like these beautiful banks in wow. these schools. And, you know, nobody cared if you were there on a weekend skateboarding, come out here and it's a very different story. It's very different. Yeah. Uh, in fact, each township within this county, I can rattle off that is explicitly, it is illegal to skateboard. Yeah. Lower Marion, where my father was a cop, is one of them. You know, and it's absurd in a lot of ways because, like, what 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 you guys are doing there is using the surface, but there's there's nothing nefarious beyond that, and so right, crimes are crimes, and if right. we're committing crimes, feel free. Right. If we are riding the surface on a board, what is the problem? What is the problem? So here we are in my dad's township, and uh, the cops show up, and we are. You know, so we had to drive there. So it's not like they already have my license plate. They know, you know, they know who we are. You know, there's there's a beat up car in this rich neighborhood late at night and there's all these kids. Guess who it belongs to? <laughs> it stands out. <laughs> so the next day, so we get kicked out, but we don't get our boards taken. And the cops are, you know, not happy, but they send us on our way. The next day, my father finds me and says, listen. Don't skateboard in Armarian anymore. It got brought up in the, his name, my name got brought up in their morning meeting. And it was like, yeah, Pete's kid was skating Penwin, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it was sort of embarrassing for my father. He didn't care, but. I just can't kind of ask you, like, can you not do that anymore? Yeah, please yeah. don't make yeah. me become the subject of a conversation Monday morning meetings, you know? Yeah. He did later tell me, years later, he told me that particular cop who did bust us that night. He said, yeah, he hated skateboarders. 
He goes, I don't know why. He just hated them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, who, who knows? But that's we have that in this area where people have this perception and they don't want it. And the Karens of the world, the Richards of the world, so to speak, they're going to tell you. and Yeah, some negativity. Give you some hard time over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that was... That was one. Yeah, when you when you are in kind of that that stage of your life too, where you're you're skateboarding in places like Penwin, and you know you're coming home, um, you know how is how is skateboarding sort of you know playing a role in just kind of helping you sort of function and everything else that you're doing. So I will say this: going back to the the track and running, um, at one point regarding some of my moods will say my mom commented that you really only have a lot you have most problems in the summertime mood wise it was the only season i didn't run oh wow yeah so in turn going forward i realized that the level of activity and exercise that skateboarding gave me also gave me this physical outlet that affect my mental state you know again we're not talking about depression so to speak because that is not something you can skate off or run off but as far as helping your overall mood exercise is a great way they say Mm -hmm. diet and exercise for everything Mm -hmm. and i can say yeah i've led my life being physically active and it keeps me mentally healthier is there also you know, kind of a component of, you know, having a community through skateboarding that has kind of kept the ground under your feet in some cases? Again, absolutely. Being a part of it, being a part of this this scene that I love, being around it, giving me an identity of something I just so thoroughly enjoy is a great thing. Uh, Again, it does not cure mental illness Mm -hmm. but it certainly you know gives you something that you can really grab onto and enjoy and work at it really is a great starting point for for that yeah it also sounds like there were some people in your life who were really influential to you really important to you in terms of your growth with snowboarding and your growth with skateboarding you know, are there are there any any folks that kind of, you know, stand out to you as like, you know, or 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 just even things that you were doing through skateboarding, maybe places you worked or people you connected with that, you know, kind of kept you um, held in the skateboarding community? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, one was a previous podcast guest of yours, Shane Von Hartleben. Um, who ran, owned Sub-Zero Skateboards. Mm-hmm. Shane is a great guy, and I met him. And I think there is this underlying Volkswagen thing we all had going on, a bunch <laughs> of us. Uh, what kind of Volkswagen did you have? Which one, right? <laughs> I started with a four-door diesel Rabbit, 83 maybe, then an 84 two-door GTI. Yeah, they were fun cars. Then an 86 Scirocco, and then an 87 Scirocco. They were stick. They were fun. So Shane 
uh, also had was very into Volkswagens and had amazing cars and worked on them and got them fast. And it's in his video, uh, the Sub-Zero video. He put some of that footage in there. It was just it was just fun. So we had this bond of skateboarding and Volkswagens. And, um, you know, we became friends and skated. And eventually I worked at Sub-Zero. And so now, here I am, not a very good skateboarder, wasn't even part of the scene, you know, the past however many years. And I have this opportunity to work at the hottest skate shop on the East Coast at this point, right? And with one of the best teams, going back to the guys I was idolizing at the park, Ricky Oyola is a team member, and now he's in the shop every day, and we're friendly, and it's really cool place to be yeah and shane was instrumental in all that stuff and by the way shane undersold his whole version of this thing it, it was epic what went on there and how instrumental he was and how instrumental the shop was it sounds like it wasn't just influential locally it sounds like there was a global impact with with the video and the type of skateboarding that was born out of that scene in philadelphia absolutely so it, to this point, all skateboarding centered around California, correct? Yeah. And there was this microcosm developing on the East Coast. And you had some pockets in New York and you had some pockets in D.C. And Philadelphia was sort of the center of this. And Love Park. And the shop associated with it. And the riders associated. And... Shane put out a video called Real Life that showcased the East Coast talent. And it was different than the West Coast. Everything you had seen to that point, this was very raw. It was in the streets. It was in the traffic. They're going through traffic, yes. Yeah. So that video is shot with, I think isn't it Ricky, who's kind of going through cars and and not just kind of going or like going really fast yeah. through traffic passing cars yeah. that are traveling at traffic pace or, yeah. you know for city anyway uh in one of the videos he jumps right out of love park into market street there whatever that is and uh in front of uh yeah moving cars i mean he you know almost got hit and yeah. whatever there was a rawness to this and it was they were skating whatever they saw and yes, that existed on some forms in the past, but it wasn't so ingrained in that city environment where we're here and we're part of this and it's unapologetic. Sorry if you're in the way. Here we come. Do you think that there's some component of that authentic kind of like, we're here, we're not going to be you know pushed back or intimidated, that was born out of Sub-Zero because of the experience of skateboarding at Love Park and, you know, always having to play cat and mouse with police and, you know, not having an accepted or safe space just to skate. Absolutely. Um, they didn't have a place. Nobody was willing to do anything for anybody. They had to take what was theirs, you know, and they were taking it out of the city. And again, they were unapologetic with the traffic because they were unapologetic about love and, and, when you don't have something like that, you you know, and it's fine, right? Like everybody does what they need to do and, and skateboarders will do what they need to do. Um, but it's, we're not talking about seven-year-olds here. I mean, these were 
people that would throw down if they have to. And it didn't matter who you were. And, it, you know, that's we're doing what we're doing. And so there is that element where, yeah, we, we, we're not get, give, being handed anything. Let's take it. There's nothing you can do about that. How long were you with Sub-Zero? How, how much of that was a part of your life? A couple years I did that. I was, I was there and involved. Oh, and I, real quick, I want to mention the Shane also did a mail order catalog. And again, you're going pre-internet. But here was this East Coast shop that had this East Coast talent. The video was blowing up. The exposure was phenomenal. There were filmers like uh, Dan. He filmed the Eastern Exposure videos. But there was this microcosm that was just blowing up. Wheel companies coming out of D.C., uh, nicotine, things like that. So we, I got to sit <laughs> in this shop or work in this shop as this whole scene blew up. And, you know, looking back, what a dream for me because I, I got out of it. I got back into it. And when I did, it was just through all these talented people, you were hard like workers. in the epicenter. I was. I stepped right back into the epicenter of something amazing. And so I'm super grateful for that. I'm super grateful for Shane and... And all these guys, they were they were amazing along the way, and um, yeah, that was it was a, an amazing time to be part of something like that. Yeah, you did share some video of yourself, I think, skateboarding at FDR, like before it was really even kind of constructed. How did that space evolve? We did hear a little bit about that from Shane, but was that a part? of your experience too as a skateboarder? Did you kind of find your way there? So, and Shane did touch on this. Um, essentially the city didn't want them in Love Park. And they said, here, we'll give you a slab of asphalt under the bridge down in, in FDR. And we'll make a couple of concrete things and there you go. And like Shane said, he, they were expecting something else that was agreed to. I don't know any of these details, that's his story. Um, but what we were given was this little area that was not so great. Uh, but we would, you know, occasionally show up to skate it. It really was the DIY aspect that these guys jumped into that made it something, that made it, you know, Burnside, right? They took that model and just went with it. And thank God for that because it's an amazing thing that they've all accomplished. Again, if you're not going to hand it to us, we're just going to take it. <laughs> These guys just said, okay, let's take it to the next level. It, it was really cool. So that video I showed you was friends of mine from my local neighborhood. And we all went down there to sort of, you know, have a good time down there. But that place wasn't a place we went to often in its earliest forms because it was not the greatest place. Places like University of Penn is just littered with amazing skate spots. Yeah, tell me about what you found there and what it was like to skate there. So definitely a lot of you know, smooth surfaces and transitions, or, or I'm saying transitions, but ledges at, or different height things. So whether it was steps or walls, um, easy stuff to grind. Then, of course, there was a section called the Annenberg Center which was 
more strictly off limits than other things. And so if you went down there to skate, there were certain places you could get away with for a while. But it seemed like every time you went to the Annenberg Center, you were asking to get kicked out. And, and of course, we still went, you know. But it was like, how much time can you skate this till you get kicked out? But again, so we're skating at college where I went, East Stroudsburg, and then we're skating U of Penn down here. Drexel Campus has some fun spots on it. Essentially, the world has built a whole bunch of really cool skate parks scattered throughout, right? And we just hit these different spots. And yes, if they were all put in, you know, skate-specific places, we wouldn't have to go in these areas where uh, they are not, they're frowning upon us being there. Yeah. But yes, there are amazing spots. And as a skateboarder, you travel and find them. Is there anywhere that you've gone to um, that you found some amazing places to skate where it was like, okay, you know, no one was going to kick you out? Oh, I don't. Because you said she skated at places like the Dust Bowl and that that was another spot where people got kicked out. And So when I was going to the Dust Bowl, it wasn't. I don't believe it was a place I had to worry about getting kicked out of at that time. But again, that was after the early days of that. So by the time I showed up, I think it was not a big deal. Maybe I'm wrong. It was hard to find. I think Joey P said that. Yeah. Or Chris Byrne, whoever said it, <laughs> it was hard to find. It was hard to I still find. drive past there on the highways and I'm always like peeking over the edge like, is the dust bowl down there? <laughs> I don't know where it went. It was lucky if you found it. Yeah. Were there any contests that you were a part of or where you met people through contests or did that ever factor in? So Sub-Zero did have a contest and for some reason, I don't know if it happened right before I worked there or I missed that contest, I'm pretty sure. Fast forward a couple of years, a friend of mine from my local neighborhood, Jay Ludwig, Nick's brother, uh, with the help of his parents, opened a skateboard shop in our local town. And I ended up being a helper worker at that place. Was that Chaos? That was Chaos. Yeah. And that name was appropriate. Oh, and the name came from, I want to take claim for this. Um, I'm sure me and Jay agreed on it, but it was definitely, we loved the 411 videos and right everybody the video magazine of the time but there was a chaos section in there where they just showed these random fast-paced clips of just the coolest stuff and i was like chaos is it like that's it that's the name so that's how that's how chaos with the name chaos yeah. oh okay that's cool and jay might say that he thought of it i i <laughs> i'm claiming i thought of it i don't know <laughs> doesn't matter you can debate it later yeah yeah but, so, it, but either way, we stole it from 411, so it wasn't original. It's <laughs> <laughs> did you guys have, did you and Jay have a point where, you know, you, you had, you held contests through chaos? So that was, we had one contest and this is, uh, this was so cool because again, the organic nature of this stuff, the DIY nature of this stuff, we decided to have a contest. I don't know what made us think to do it uh but so then we had to build ramps pick a location to have the contest promote it again pre-internet so you make flyers you hand them out word of mouth 
And so that was it. We decided we would have a contest at a local middle school, have a barbecue afterwards to feed everyone. <laughs> so you guys went all out of the contest. And then, we're going to feed everyone too. Right. And then the people that we were friendly with and close to, we would have a party back at the shop afterwards. And leading up to this, we were building ramps and slowly because of the contest, people were coming in to buy more boards and stuff, which was allowing us to buy wood to build the ramps. So the closer we got to the contest, the more money was, you know, the more things were purchased, the more we had money to buy the ramps. So it was a really nice way to, to, to lead up to that. The day of the contest, we had a couple hundred people out back and wait, so let me just back up. Yeah. With flyers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a couple hundred people there for this contest. Right, which sounds small and in a way it was, but you're right. Flyers and for a middle school. For a contest middle school. having a middle school. Yeah. So it sounds like it was a success. And so we built all these ramps and we did a pretty pretty good job. And we, somebody had a pickup truck, so we were able to drive them from the shop to the place. So the morning of, we got all the ramps there, and all these people showed up, including some of the pros from Philly. And Shane himself, he came, he's friends with uh, all these guys. So it, it was really cool to have this random contest in our community and have pros from Philly come out and skate it and just be a part of it. Oh, it sounds like it was a great day. It was an amazing day. Now, here's the, the fun part of this, part of it. We held this contest in the back of the school. You can't see the back from the front. The school blocks it. We found out later that there was about two, two kids, two to four kids, skateboarding out front of the school. So mind you, you have 300 people, spectators, skateboarders out back, ramps. Two kids, three, four kids out front. The cops came up to them, promptly told them they cannot skateboard on this property, and they had to leave. And thank God for those kids that they didn't mention oh my there was God. a unpermitted contest going on out back. Oh, my God. You guys didn't have a permit or anything like that. A permit? What is that? <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah. We were kids. Right. Right? Well, you need a permit? Right. We're just having a contest here. I didn't know there was. Yeah. <laughs> a couple hundred people in a barbecue. People, yeah. So anyway, that yes. So they got kicked out. And the cop left, and we got to continue the contest. We never knew any of this took place. Then the barbecue took place, and the cop showed up around, I want to say, like, say, 6 o'clock at night to bust the already ended contest and barbecue, right? We fed everybody, everybody skated, and then the cop showed up and kicked us all out <laughs> as we were leaving, basically. I was like, oh, my God, that worked out really well. That worked out great. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, couldn't have had a better situation. Uh, I will say that the party, I think, devolved into chaos by the end of the <laughs> night. I think that I might have even called. No, I found that's funny. I somebody called the cops to bust that party up. Out of spite, they didn't like us. They maybe their girlfriends were going to the party and they weren't invited. Who knows? But it was the best thing that could have happened. I needed the cops to show up and break that up too. It was not going well. So then they were like helping you out. When oh, yeah. Up then. yeah. I was like, thank God the cops came now. <laughs> so you guys, 
you definitely had some moments in skateboarding that sound like they were just like really epic moments in your life. You know, your time with Sub-Zero and, and working with Jay Ludwig and Chaos Skateboards. Yeah. Is there, has was there ever a point where you you went from like, you know, the street skating that you were doing in Philadelphia and, you know, the ramp skating where you got to maybe like a transition or you were skating in bowls or anything like that? Or was, are you mostly in the discipline of like street skating? So at this time it is mostly street skating and really the transition skating was a gift, right? In fact, we made uh, Shane and myself, Nick, actually, he's got his own story he will tell you someday. He claims we abandoned him for a weekend up at the ramp. But various <laughs> friends of mine and I would drive back to Yetter's Barn. I didn't go to college there anymore. I, you know, I dropped out. I'm down in the scene. And we would drive two hours away to the barn, Yetter's Barn, to skate it because we didn't have access to any transition. And that thing was covered. So if it was raining, it was fine. The smell of the horses was fine. He just dealt with that. But... Yeah, so transition was more of a luxury for us. Um, we were street skaters for lack of anything to do otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, going back to a cop story I can tell you about pools. Here we go. Four, uh, myself and four, uh, three friends, so four of us in a Volkswagen GTI, riding around looking for pools to skate. We show up at an apartment complex in Lansdowne, and we see the pool, and it's it's got water in it. So, oh well, we have to leave. So let's go find somewhere else to skate. So anyone, you know, who who grew up on like the West Coast, or they live in a warm climate, like you never drain your pool in the winter time. But out here in the cold winter, people do drain their pool in the yes. winter time. If you do not. It will potentially float and also crack from the freezing. The freezes right? and the water expands and correct. Yeah. So yes, typically they are mostly drained, but maybe not completely drained in the winter time. Yeah. And I will say this: I think the pool that we went to skate was not even shaped properly, so it would have been useless. But anyway, we leave there and we get pulled over, and the cops say, "What are you doing in that that place?" And I was like, uh, honestly, we were looking for a place to skateboard. And he flashed his light in there. He counted each one of us. And he said, there's four of you in this car. You're telling me that they're, where are your skateboards? And I said, well, they're in the trunk. He said, so you're telling me there should be four skateboards in that, in your trunk. I was like, yeah. So I got out and proceeded to open the tailgate and hand him five skateboards as I'm showing him the skateboards. I was... He was being kind of aggressive with me, and I, I gave it back to him in the sense that, like, yes, not only are there four, but I own two. This is a really good time in my life. I can afford two skateboards, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, here, five skateboards. And they had called him. It turns out that somebody was stealing cars in the neighborhood. They had it scoped out. We walked into it, and they thought we were stealing cars. Oh, geez, that's bad luck. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't treat us. They treated us also after we explained everything. They still treated us like we were stealing cars, which, wow. again, it's like, what? come on, man. We're just out here trying to have fun. Yes, we don't own the pool. Yes, we don't own the apartment complex, but we were there to skateboard. 
And uh, yeah, there was one guy who was a cop in my neighborhood. I'm looking right at him like, Tommy, you know me. Like, I'm here to skateboard, man. Like, this is, you know. But no, he didn't. He pretended like he didn't know me. How'd you get out of that? They let us go. They had nothing on us, you yeah. know. But again, it's another situation where these cops just for no reason at all give you a hard time. I'm, clearly, they were trying to do their job. Um, but once it became clear we were not car thieves, they still just... It was probably worse being a skateboarder at that point. I don't know. Have you ever been anywhere where you felt like it was it was safe just to skateboard? Like, you know, in, in, in terrain where you could just sort of be not worried about getting busted or, you know, getting getting any trouble from police. That's an interesting concept because generally speaking, the answer is no. Uh, there were definitely areas we would skate in my local community, like the corner of a Bond Shopping Center there with the, the Ardmore and the McDonald's and whatever. And we would skate there and we would for the most part be left alone. But at any given time... Any cop could shut us down if they wanted to, you know. So from that perspective, no, we were never really safe. There were places you could pay to go to, right? Cheapskates, things like that. Did you ever end up skateboarding at, at places like Cheapskates? Yeah. 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 But at that point, for me, it wasn't even worth it to go to those places and pay money and get in there. And then, you know, it just wasn't really... There was so much going on street skating wise that it wasn't even worth going to that necessarily. Yeah. Unless, you know, occasionally we would like to do that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, there was nowhere that felt particularly safe to skate. Was there a part of snowboarding that really appealed to you because it is a place where you can do a, a, the similar kind of board sport? And you're you're out. It's beautiful to snowboard. Like it's it's great to be outdoors, but you don't have to worry about the same things snowboarding that you had to as a skateboarder. My son actually mentioned this to me today. He said, "Dad, I, I think you should bring up the the snowboard parks." And I said, "Yeah, those are pay for places, and they're not cheap, right? Snowboarding is a great sport, and I spend a lot of time doing it, and I love it." But I've been finding ways to do it on the cheap forever because it is a very expensive sport yeah, and it's it not accessible to everybody. Yeah. And but yes, the parks, I mean, the, the mountains themselves have provided snowboard parks similar to things you would want to do on a skateboard rails and stairs and boxes. And so, yes, from that perspective, they've created they've given us a playground, a snowboarding playground and, you know soak it in and take it you know don't take it for granted and and we get out there and we use it yeah um but again yeah if someone were to build skateboarding parks like the snowboarding parks yes we that is what the goal would be i skate i snowboarded today i'm snowboarding tomorrow yeah and any chance i can be on a board i really you know they don't i didn't think growing up that i would be doing this when i was older but you know tony hawk was really the first is really the first old skater from the you know the the biggest skater first and also the the oldest biggest skater right so you know nobody expected him to be doing this as long as he's been doing it and you think he's probably got 20 more years doing it like he's yeah. he's not slowing down he's slowing down a little bit well <laughs> you know he doesn't want to <laughs> he's right, still right, trying right, right, right. 
Attention listeners, this here is Joey P. If you want to support the mission of the Delco Skate Park Coalition, please check out our website at www.skatedelco.org. Thank you kindly. You know, why do you think, like, it's so important to invest in, like, a skate park? Because... There's not a whole lot of other spots you can go to. I mean, you're taking a risk, you know, when you go to places like you guys would find to skateboard and you shared some of the experiences you had with police. There's some risk involved in that. There's definitely some risk. And I I understand the concept that if I don't own it, I'm not necessarily welcome to it, right? So if it's a big building... And there's, you know, ledges and all that stuff. I don't own it. Maybe I don't get to just do what I want to it, right? So as an adult, I understand that concept. Um, certainly, from a community standpoint, and it's real easy to say it, but th- there are things provided for, for people that are, you know, parks and recreate related and community oriented. And I think the thing that Stacy discovered from all this was that there's a, a need you you show up at these places and they're packed all the time and skateboarders will skate whenever they can the only time that it's a problem is when it rains <laughs> right <laughs> outside of that those parks are are full yeah and so it's definitely a huge benefit to have somewhere to go an outlet to go with these things I'm still snowboarding and I don't do the rails like I did, but I can actually sort of, I, I dabble every now and again, but <laughs> I don't want to break anything. Right. It becomes a much more, uh, realistic thought that that's possible. Yeah. I have to go to work. There's a couple of factors relying on me not being broken. So yeah. I don't push it. Um, but certainly, you know, and I seek that out. I just like we, we go to Yetter's barn and just like we go to love park and just like we go, to the Dust Bowl and all these places, like we want to find good places to go where we can enjoy ourselves and not be harassed and not, you know, have to deal with these outside factors. And that is, to me, the, the beauty of the park. And, you know, going down the shore, I, it just, I don't understand it. I go to the shore and Ocean City has a skate park and Sea has a skate park and Wildwood has a skate park and Rehoboth. All these places have skate parks, and I'm, and but it's like not even a thought for me because this this is always there's never seemed to be anything going to happen for us here. Uh, I had a friend move to Lancaster, uh, which is west of this Philadelphia region, right? And growing up, it, it, it's associated with Amish people and a farming community, and so of course I like to make jokes that it is um, kind of. You know, rednecky farmish area, and when my friend said he was moving there, I made fun of him because you know, good luck finding any cool sporty cars. You know, good luck finding you know, just whatever it is. It's I couldn't imagine living there. Then I went to visit him, and right across the street from him was this nice public golf course that also had a community pool and a skate park. And there was a, oh, and there was a Maserati in in the drive, and I was like, "What place? This is the place I make fun of, and they have everything." 
I, we have none of that, right? So I, I just, I do find it strange that there is this recognized want and need and benefit throughout all of the places I go to, including backwards Lancaster. Just, just kidding. It's, it's a lovely place, but. Uh, it's growing. And I think, I think your point is well taken. It's like Lancaster has grown, um, you know, a lot in the last two decades. And they've put in those community spaces. You know, Delaware County has been a pretty populated county for a long time. And trying to trying to find a spot, you know, and yeah. densely populated like Upper Darby or yeah. space like that, it's it's um it's difficult. It's difficult to find that and to find, you know, these spaces where they're accessible to a lot of people. But I, I think you you touched on something with like cheapskates and, you know, accessibility and being able to afford it. Like, do you see a role for for these public skate parks? Um, like, you know, the one in Lancaster that's public, Lansdale is a public skate park, Quakertown is a public skate park, all the ones you mentioned in New Jersey, where any kid can go. You know, if you happen to live in that neighborhood where any kid can go and, you know, kind of thinking about ourselves as kids, like. I would love to have had access to any of that stuff growing up. Who knows? Maybe I would have been pro. Just (laughs) John. Johnny and Devin were yeah, on here. Yeah. Maybe they could have been pro, but myself and I'm listen, I'm happy to be mediocre at best, right? Like <laughs> I love my level. I'm okay with it. I don't need to be pro. But yeah, there was there's definitely like how could could how good could you become? Where would it take you? You know? And going back to the mental health aspect of this, um again having a direction, having this place to go to, having that community together, you're not going to skate off depression, but at least you can have something that, you know, is part of your community that you can enjoy. And, you know, maybe help you to work on those other issues because you have something positive going on. Yeah, that's really, really well said. I do think that We've heard from a few skaters who have talked about, you know, what happened in the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s, when, you know, there were, Ellen Berryman was talking about how there were a lot of these parks that closed because of the liability, things like that. And, you know, a lot of these skaters that relied on these spaces really lost that direction and lost their way. And it had a big impact. It was a huge loss for the community. Right. Absolutely. Um and one thing I wanted to double back on uh, was the mental health aspect of this. Um, like I said, you can't can't skate off depression. So an interesting thing for me was eventually I did figure out that um, my mental health issues were not depression. So they were certainly depression. I finally got to probably what would have been my... 20th psychiatrist and I had given up on everybody's interpretation of what was wrong with me and here try this pill try this pill they just they were all the same we finally got to this one doctor and he said I think you have ADD this is before it was ADHD Um, and I think you're exhibiting symptoms your symptoms are coming out as depression and rage and I said doc I don't care what you call it you know if you, and he had a medicine to give me, which ended up being Ritalin. And 
I said, I don't, at this point, I don't care what you call it. If it can help me, great. And I spent, well, we'll say 13, 14, up until 23, I, th I think, battling this version of depression and mental illness and rage and fracturing relationships and friendships and family and all that. And I was diagnosed with ADD, put on these meds, and within days, there was an alleviation of a multitude of issues that just sort of lifted off of me. And I don't want to make it sound like, you know, everything was fixed immediately. It certainly was not. I had to relearn behaviors, you know, and and certainly that didn't even fix 100% of my mental health because that's a, a really been a lifelong thing. I think at around 46, I really got on top of extra things uh, with the encouragement of my wife who said, hey, you know, you're, you're good, but you're not that good. Maybe, maybe you should look and see if it could be a little better. But to that point, I mean, I made it very far by getting the right diagnosis and getting on the right meds to handle those things. And the point of this is, is that at 13 through 23, I was never diagnosed properly and I was never given the right meds and I, but I never gave up and I, I found ways to, to involve myself and it brought me back to skateboarding and I loved it and I continued on and then things imploded because the mental health really eventually you're going to have to deal with it and you know, so I left the skateboarding world again so to speak. And then I got re-diagnosed properly, and it it allowed me to continue on with this new outlook on life. And so the the aspect being, it was super important that I didn't give up, that I kept going, and that I had something positive in my life to fall back on. And skateboarding was a huge part of that. Yeah, that that aspect of of skateboarding um, sounds like it became a thread for you as as you went through some really really heavy difficult things in your life and and for a while a long part of your life didn't really have answers for what was happening and and to be able to maintain you know not giving up and having something to to hang on to through that it sounds like skateboarding was a big part of that for you Absolutely. And again, when that psychiatrist asked me, is there anything you enjoy ever? You know, <laughs> yeah. is there anything you've ever enjoyed? Yeah. And I was like, skateboarding. And she said, why don't you skateboard then? And I thought, right. Why don't, why don't I get back to that? Yeah. I really loved it. And I did. And there's a line in a Chili Pepper song and it says, find a way to be a skater. <laughs> right? It's in the Zephyr song, yeah. right? Yep. Every time I hear that to this day, I'm like, I did. I found a way to be a skater. Like I, It was hugely important to me. I love everything about it. It gave me Sub-Zero and Philly, and it gave me chaos, and just so many fun, fun memories. Yeah, it sounds like it's been a very important part of your life. It brought really 
a community to your life and people to your life that has had so much value for you and so much importance for you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and then so fast forward, I'm an adult. And I have to like grow up. That was a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> but I really begrudgingly grew up. I'm not even sure I've accomplished that yet. But we, I get into snowboarding. And friends of mine figured out a way to rent a mountain house on the cheap, right? Everything's on the cheap because we don't, we don't have money. Right? We just, I'm barely working. You know, I'm lucky to be alive, all these things, right? Like <laughs> with the mental health thing really threw me for a loop there. So we get back on track and uh, we go snowboarding and we get a mountain house and we rent it and we do it year after year. And we run into another group of snowboarders on the same mountain. And we're learning how to ride the half pipe and they're learning how to ride the half pipe and we're learning how to ride rails. Like they just showed up one year, you know, they weren't there ever before. And then one day there was rails. Next thing you know, we're just riding these parks. They gave us these things to play on and we can't get enough of it. And we're just all the time there. And then we realized that the one group of people that was very similar to us doing exactly the same thing. One day we found out they lived or they had the mountain a mountain house two doors down from our mountain house. Oh wow! So not only are they in the same place where you guys are snowboarding, they're actually staying in the same area, yeah, one house away. And we, a friend of mine through my sister goes to a party. She says, "Well, I know you're in the Poconos. I'm going to be there." I said, "Call me to get closer." Keeps describing basically where I'm going, where I am, and then finally, she says she's in this house here, at this corner, and I said walk outside and we both walked out and waved to each other <laughs> and i'm like oh my god you're you're at a party two houses down from our house i walk down there we walk in and i see these guys from the mountain i'm like yo like we know you guys you're from the mountain and uh we formed lifelong friendships from that moment forward i mean they're was up. that the group that became known as the the east side, east side riders. riders yeah yes and so here's their group and our group. We get together and now we have, not only do we have the same mountain experience, but we have party two party houses, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whose house are we partying at tonight? Your house, our house, you know, that type of thing. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it really, so I'm a young adult and I'm just, be, and I'm, fi I'm finally mentally healthy, right? And I'm, this time around, I don't want to mess it up. I, you know, I just, I want to be able to enjoy it and have fun with it and not fracture my friendships with people, not cause these, these underlying problems because of my mental health and all, or whatever. Uh, so that's my goal. And lo and behold, I did okay. I've done, <laughs> I've done okay. I'm not going to say it's great. You got several people who, who say that, you know. Just because you're in the right meds doesn't mean you're not an asshole, right? You're, you're still here to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we started this whole friendship and, you know, we had our own little, again, micro thing where it was like we filmed each other. We had this idea, this name that we're the East Side Riders and we just have this little group. We put things on, you know, our logos on things and gift them to each other. And it's been a good 20 some years with as adults with these friends and now all of the east side riders are teaching their kids how to snowboard and skateboard 
So that's like one of the, I think, greatest gifts about skateboarding. And I'm not a good snowboarder at all. But at this, the skateboarding was something that I could share with my kids. And I feel like that's one of the most amazing things about skateboarding, snowboarding, whatever you do. If whatever you do gives you something that you can share with your kids, you can both do together. Because, you know, when you're skateboarding or snowboarding with your kids, they're not using their phones. Right. You're like in the moment, really with them. Absolutely. It is. It's great. And when you take the break at the lodge and they get back on their phones maybe for a few minutes, I don't even care. Yeah. Because they're really out there experiencing nature. They're experiencing life. They're the physics of it, you know, the gravity and, and the, you're bored and just you're one with this these elements. It's absolutely enthralling. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's really a gift. It's like one of the, the coolest things yeah. about, you know, what we loved as kids being able to grow up and share it with our own kids. Yes. It's really and cool. And my, my, my kids are good snowboarders. <laughs> they, they, you know, to credit to them, they yeah. just kept at it, kept at it. And they're real smooth now. It's fun to watch. That's awesome. Yeah. It, my daughter was way better than I ever was at skateboarding, like picked it up so fast and, well, she also, they probably also had much nicer equipment than we had growing up. And... I will definitely say they did. Yeah. And then that way we don't have to feel like, you know, they were better than us. <laughs> <laughs> it was the equipment, kids. <laughs> so this is uh, a fun, fun experience we had. There was a, a guy who showed up in the group. We got all these friends around chaos. And this guy randomly shows up. He's a skater. You know, kids come and go. They show up. And he's a real nice guy. And he had a uh, he had a large box van that was painted blue as if he used a roll. A good way to describe it would be like a U-Haul truck. Okay, okay. Right? And it was painted with the blue paint with a roller. Nice. Right? So that was interesting. <laughs> but this guy, while well, Jay had chaos he came along and said hey i'm gonna open a skate park in what this place was called ardmart it used to be called circus town when we were growing up circus town was a dance club it's almost like a Chuck E. cheese for kids in the daytime but at night there were uh dance parties in the late 80s with high hair you know, you picture the late 80s with the early mid 80s with the high hair stuff going on. Perms and bangs. Right. Yeah. So like I think at age 12, I was at Circus Town Dances, right? So this this sort of weird mix of a place eventually closes down and the it's going to be for rent. And this guy comes along and this kid and says... Um, yeah, my father and I are going to rent this place out and we're going to put a skate park in it. I'm like that that's amazing. It's like, yeah, I have the keys. Do you want to go in? Awesome, let's go. So, we go in here and we are able to skateboard in this place. We open it up, go in, and it's smooth. Is it like a just a big wood dance floor or It is let, let, there's like a the things you climb through, like with the net and the different levels, like it's a toy. Like that's oh, one like section. That kind of play section. Play sort of, section. Yeah. And then there's linoleum floor all over. And 
different levels. So there's, you know, you could be here and then there's two steps up to here. So it's A, smooth, and B, different levels. And C, there's tables which are going to get demoed when they renovate this place. So yeah, we can trash it, right? We can skate the tables. <laughs> and uh, so we got to skate this place and it was amazing. We would just be in there. It was dry. It was warm. Wow. Um, and then the cops showed up one night, as they do, right? As cops do for in our case. And we got to look those cops right in the eyes and tell them, we are renting this place out. My friend here has the keys to the and the lease. Bye-bye. <laughs> so... So that was the one time in your life you're you're skating yes. in a really an amazing place and they come. Yep. And you're able to say And we're able to look them square in the face and say, Hey boys, not tonight. Can't kick us out. Bye bye. Did they believe you? Did they believe you that you were running it? Did they Oh yeah, you showed it? them the keys, told them the story, and off they went. cops left. <laughs> That's like a triumph. Right? So yeah. huge victory on yeah. our part. And we you know, it was so fun to skate there. Nick will tell you, uh, Adam Walkavich, I believe, may have taken photos of Nick and Jim Hauser in there. I mean, there, supposedly there's a photo that from inside there. And so that was a really cool thing. Now, here's the real weird part of this story. As it turns out, that blue van, box van, was a U-Haul truck. It had been rented and never returned by said fellow. And he never, he told the same story to the real estate agent that he told to us and got those keys. Yeah. No way. Yes. No way. Yes. <laughs> so we really uh, thought we had a lot of a leg to stand on with the cops there. Technically, turns out there was probably crimes being committed uh, just by our fact that we were even there. But regardless... It ended that way, and, and to this day, I would love to buy that guy a beer and say thank you. That was diabolical, and I had no knowledge of it, so amazing. Yeah, you guys had no idea. You're there. The police show up. Yeah, they don't we're telling them to go scratch. <laughs> Bye. Get out. We've got the keys. What happened to the photos of, of the, that were taken? You're going to have to ask Nick. That's, I don't know. Those are rumors. That is a great story. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, how you guys felt, like, just translate that to how fun it was, the way the terrain was set up for you, and, and what you had there. Like, oh. So, we, yeah, we had a safe space, too. Yeah. You know, safe space is like a, a, a word nowadays, right, where you need a safe space. But, no, we literally were able to do what we do. We were not committing crimes, right? Skateboarding is not a crime, right? And yet everywhere we go, it's illegal to skate here. It's illegal. To, I live in media. It's illegal to skate it's in media. It's illegal to skate there. Yeah. And all these towns around here, it's illegal to skate. Yeah. So it's just a matter of which cop is going to give you a hard time about it or not, right? And so hey, cops have a job to do. I get it. And to that point, maybe we need a space to go to rather than going to... Uh, private properties that people don't want us there. Totally agree. And, you know, your point is so well taken. And, you know, one of the biggest reasons why 
we wanted to put this podcast together is to have stories like yours and everybody else who's come on and talk about why is it so important that communities invest in like these these skate parks that like that are inclusive and accessible and everybody can skate there and you know that have these features that you're talking about where not only you have levels for like beginners but intermediates and people who are more advanced i mean yeah i think it's at this stage of the game it more advanced is not where i need to be right (laughs) you know (laughs) so yeah so it doesn't matter how old you are beginner level stuff is is awesome but then also yes you progress and you grow and there should be things on on that whole scale going the whole way um and again we seek it out all the time and sometimes you know maybe maybe somebody accidentally says that their dad's renting this space and when we seek it out that way you know oops oops yeah our bad but uh but we still seek it out you know and it's Again, going back to Stacy, there's a need and there's a want, and we just really need to find the means. And I'm sure there's plenty of motivated people to fundraise, you know, match all those kinds of things, and and we're willing to do it. And like Shane mentioned, the DIY Sub Zero, you know, these guys have been raising money for concrete for a long time. When I worked at Sub Zero, I don't know if it was '94-'95, they put a jar right on the glass case at Sub-Zero and it was money for the, the DIY at, at, you know, at FDR. I gladly put into it, you know? Yeah. People, and you know, I think, you know, to your point before, like people need it. It's, it's a needed element of the community. There's a lot of people that if you, if you put it out there, they're going to benefit from having it. Yeah. And I will, and let me just say this, um, you know, Right. So like in snowboarding, the skiers don't really aren't, you know, it's it's like this like skier snowboarder thing. Right. And it's a joke at this stage in my life. But there are mountains actually that do not allow snowboarding that still exist today. Um, And so there are different levels of skateboarding and bikes and scooters and those types of things where, you know, there's maybe been some issues in the past. But I look at it now and I think everyone understands that it is for everyone. No matter how, what version of rolling around you have, we all want you there, you know. It's the way to get everybody a chance to do it and to experience what a transition feels like or to experience what that ollie to a grind feels like or even the wheelchair version where, uh, and by the way, her interview, I don't even... No, Tracy? I, yeah. Amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Amazing stuff. Yeah. You know, and I want to watch. I want to see that, you know. <laughs> Her talking about dropping into these bowls that she can't even get out of. I'm like, oh my I know, goodness. She's a total badass. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I want those people there. I want to see that. Everybody wants everyone to succeed. It All it does is push us all further forward, right? You don't get anywhere by not witnessing other people do things, so... Get everybody, get everybody access to it. Put them all in there. Find a way to make it work. Give them plenty of space and everyone's happy. Brian, this has been such an awesome time talking to you. I have so enjoyed this interview. Thank thank you you so much. I enjoyed it too. I appreciate it. I'm stoked to get this out there. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, this is Nick Ludwig. We need concrete skate parks here in Delco, and I'm working with the Delco Skate Park Coalition to help us reach that goal. If you want to find out what you can do to help Delaware County get concrete, ADA accessible, and inclusive skate parks, please go to our website at www.skatedelco.org and find out how you can support the mission of the Delco Skate Park Coalition. Thanks.